Hey crew, before we get started today, I wanted to remind you that you can always find us on social media at Facebook and at Twitter at E-I-S-T-P-O-D for both those locations. I had a great talk with Dave Gallanter, who was a great guest, and we talked about a great show, uh, a great episode of Voyager on this episode. At some point, I mentioned his book, Troublesome Minds, which, if you'd like, Spock is a great book, and I have a link in the show notes to check that book out on Amazon. Go pick that up. There is an edit point in the show which represents about maybe 10, 15 minutes of talk about Discovery. Dave and I talked about the first season of Discovery, which had not completed at the time that we were recording. And it was a great discussion about uh, their representation of uh, Trek's first gay couple, um, a lot of positive stuff, uh, some spoilery stuff for the time if you hadn't seen Discovery, or even now if you haven't seen Discovery, and kind of inside baseball as well, as uh, Dave and I both know people who work on the show, and we were afraid that we didn't want to let things out. So I excised that material. It may show up at some future date uh, on a supplemental show, if I can clear it with everybody. But I'll just let you know where that is, and then we get right back to talking about Remember. So hope you enjoy the show. And if you want to join the crew, you can check us out at patreon.com forward slash EIST pod. And with that, let's get underway. It's worked so far, but we're not out yet. I want to know what you're thinking. There are some things you can't hide I wanna know what you're feeling Tell me what's on your mind Hailing Frequencies Open, and welcome to Enterprising Individuals, the Star Trek discussion podcast that boldly goes into excruciating detail about the series, characters, and stories of the Star Trek universe. I'm your host, Aaron Coker, a.k.a. Caliban, and I would be all for being able to read a novel while you sleep, though with how little sleep I tend to get, I'd be stuck with Kindle singles and the backs of cereal boxes. I'm joined on this episode by returning guest Dave Gallanter, author of multiple Star Trek novels and short stories, including the 2009 pocket TOS novel Troublesome Minds and the 2015 novel Crisis of Consciousness. Dave also wrote the episode Enemy Starfleet for the fan-produced Star Trek New Voyages series and has contributed to the Writer's and Director's Guide for the New Voyages Phase 2 production. Dave, welcome back to the show. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. And by the way, that was co-wrote Enemy Starfleet. Oh. Um, Patty, Wright co- Patty Wright co-wrote it with me. Oh, excellent. Uh, permission to come aboard granted, but of course you're already aboard. Today, <laughs> today we'll be talking about Remember, the sixth episode of the third season of Star Trek Voyager. Social allegory has always been the meat and potatoes of science fiction, ever since Margaret Cavendish penned The Blazing World or Mary Shelley created Frankenstein's monster, and it's a path that Star Trek has followed diligently along its 51-year journey. But while early sci-fi authors were concerned with political commentary or religious critique, modern sci-fi finds itself in a position to both comment on the past and to push forward the conversation about topics that humanity still struggles with in the 21st century, topics that Trek fans will find familiar, but ones that remain evergreen as the franchise progresses. But we'll talk about that a little later in the show. But first, Dave, when you were last on the show, you talked about how your mother was influential in getting you interested in Trek. And I've heard from many guests similar stories about how watching Star Trek with their parents was a bonding experience. And there was something of a passing of the torch or, or sharing of culture between parents and kids. Do you think that's still happening today? I do. Uh, I don't I don't have kids of my own, but uh, I, I live with uh, 
with my wife, my brother, his wife, and their three children, and the eldest of which is six. Um, And I'm making sure that she's familiar with Star Trek. We watch (laughs) some of the animated series. She sees me watching Star Trek. She'll see it on. And no matter what variation of Star Trek it is, she'll say, oh, you're watching Star Trek. Um, And although we don't let her watch uh, Discovery because it's a little too adult. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And and she loves Doctor Who as well because we're big Doctor Who fans. Okay. Um, And that's, uh, you know, it's important to not just have you want to share with the people in your life what you enjoy but i think science fiction plays a very important role um not just uh, not just for whatever political or philosophical allegories you have but because it's this let's imagine the future thing and that's that's very human that's very important yeah um and that's why we have uh, uh, you know, f- f- supercomputers in our pockets <laughs> is because someone imagined it as a science fiction thing and someone else was just intrigued by it and said, hey, let's do that. Yeah, right. It's good to know that if I'm still doing this in 20 years, God forbid, I'll have guests to come on the show. <laughs> well, you know what? You should be doing it in 20 years, <laughs> we'll so see. long as you're having fun with it. We'll see. Uh, of course, uh, you know, if you were sharing Trek with your kids or, or with your nieces and nephews, there might be some gaps in their knowledge. Um, I suppose they wouldn't know until they started browsing the Internet that there was a Star Trek V. They'd be like, wait a minute. The, 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 I didn't think that that existed. Who's Cybok? I actually own all of the uh, uh, the, the Star Trek movies, uh-huh. um, with the exception of... Uh, uh, gosh, what's the uh, the the middle one uh, that of the new version? Oh, that I'm not uh, fond of. Into Darkness. Into Darkness. I don't have that one. Okay. I just don't like that one. <laughs> um, which, by the way, I don't like it uh, uh, for writers' reasons, which is just the emotional notes. You have to have seen something a movie 30 years ago to sort of understand a lot of the emotional notes. Yeah. And a lot of it just didn't make sense to me. Um, although I did like parts of it. Um, I liked uh, like the loss of Pike, and I thought that relationship between Kirk and Pike was handled very well. But uh, I haven't purchased that movie yet. Yeah. Uh, eventually, I probably will. But I have all of the others, so she'll probably see Star Trek V in the list at some point, and she'll say, <laughs> I want to watch that one, Sure, <laughs> as, as well the others. Uh, yeah. Um, Into Darkness, wow. Uh, I agree with your critique of it, and it's funny that they tried to draw upon what had come before and tried to hit some of the same beats and just didn't didn't seem to get it, kind of missed the I point. I would have loved if they had just, if they wanted to do that story, and this is the way I thought they were going to do it, is, you know, Kirk originally saved Khan's life yeah. by taking a phaser and cracking open his, uh, his uh, uh, suspended animation container. Yeah. What if Khan had died and the number two took over and maybe he's worse? Interesting. And that would have been a good story to tell. Yeah. Because they would have contacted Spock Prime and they would have said, have you ever heard of the Botany Bay? And do you know such and such? And like, such and such was Khan's lieutenant. Where's Khan? We don't know any Khan. But this is so and so. Right. And that might have been, I mean, how much it would have been a new story as opposed to um, a, a weird a very weird take on an old story. Yeah. Because I don't know why you, I don't know why you hide. Well, actually, in in that movie, you kind of sympathize with Khan because the mm-hmm. evil admiral was doing bad things to him and his people. Yeah. And I so, think I think it's an evol. I mean, we'll talk a lot about social commentary today, but I think it's an evolution 
uh, in the 21st century of the original ideas because now we do sympathize in some ways with this character who, boy, is pretty much a terrorist, however you look at it, but is definitely uh, fighting against an oppressive regime, which is something that um, you can kind of identify with now. Although if they put that second in command in charge, I don't know. He um, he really gives it to Uhura. He just belts her real hard uh, in right, space, exactly. if I remember correctly. He doesn't seem like a great guy. Right. And that would have been, uh, I, th I think, a, a, a really interesting way to go. Yeah. But, um, I, and you know, that very well might have been uh, Paramount or some high level exec who said, no, no, Rathacon worked really well. Do that again. Because I had actually heard through the grapevine that that script was much better at one point. Interesting. So it just it was a succession of rewrites that brought it down or, you know, notes. Yeah. <laughs> Producers and writers get notes that they maybe <laughs> don't want to take. Yeah. <laughs> You appeared on the first episode of our Discovery recap show, Star Trek Discoverage. How are you enjoying the series now that it's entered Chapter 2? I love the series. Yeah. I absolutely love it. I feel it gets better every episode. Um, I, uh, I do think, you know, things make me go, hmm, sometimes. But I also understand that it is uh, a season, a 15-episode arc. Yes. And uh, sometimes you just have to wait to see how it is. I'm like that with Doctor Who sometimes because it comes out, you know, week by week. Mm. But it's only when you look back at the entire season that uh, and sometimes watch them, you know, in order again in a sort of marathon or, or uh, 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 what's it called? Binging. Binging, a binge watch um, that you really get sort of all of the little uh, things woven together properly. Yeah. Um, but I, I literally last I, without making any spoilers for someone who hasn't seen the last episode, my wife and I, our mouths were agape. I mean, we were just, well, uh -huh. yeah, I, I, I it, <laughs> and that, that a show can do that for you, yeah. especially Star Trek. I said to someone, I said, I don't think the last time Star Trek surprised me so much was, any recent series, it might have been the first time I saw City on the Edge of Forever. Oh, okay. Sure. You know, when 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 she Kirk has to stop McCoy from stopping getting her out from in front of that truck, you go, <laughs> Oh my God. And that I've had that with this show. And I think that's amazing and a credit to the writers and producers and directors, which by the way, Jonathan Frakes, you go. Yeah, really. He is a, yeah, you know, by the way, I've, I've, my favorite movie is one, uh, uh, next gen movie is, uh, one that he directed, which is, uh, uh, first contact. Yeah. Yeah. He's got a real skill. Yeah, he really does. Uh, as does, uh, Roxanne Dawson, uh, who we'll talk about a little later as well. Um, yes. you, uh, let's see. Um, you also wrote a, um, Voyager novel called battle lines, uh, with Greg Broder, um, how did, uh, we're talking about a Voyager episode today. Um, how did you sort of get into the mind of writing for Voyager as opposed to TOS or, or some other uh, setting? Well, Voyager was different because, uh, they were sort of in a box yeah. and the box was, why don't they just run away <laughs> if they get into trouble? Yeah. And so the premise of our book, uh, when Greg and I sat down to plot it was, okay, how do we make sure they don't run away? Well, let's have... Uh, an alien race slaps something on their ship that hampers their warp engines so they can control where and when they go. Okay. And that was, that ended up being the, the premise of the book. And then we, we wrote the story around, okay, what if that happened? And we sort of used the, uh, the notion of impressing a ship into 
um, into service for you, mm-hmm. which, uh, you know, the British used to do right. uh, 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 around the Revolutionary War. Um, and that's where we went with that. Um, and what we did was, is we made the bad guys not so bad. They were kind of desperate. That's why they were impressing ships into their fleet, because their fleet had been diminished. Um, yeah. And it's the only time, uh, well, it's not the only time, but it's one of the few times I had said to Greg, I don't want these the real bad guys to be misunderstood. I want them to just be evil. They're just bad. Sometimes there's evil in the world. Yeah. And these guys are just bad. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and so that's where that premise came from. It all came from Voyager's ultimate sort of box is not that they have a long journey home. It's that why should they get involved with any of the aliens they come into contact with? <laughs> exactly, yeah. Although this episode, remember, the reason that they're involved with the aliens in this is for trade. Right. I mean, they're doing what the Federation is supposed to do. They're seeking out uh, new lives and new life forms and new civilizations. Yeah, and there's certain realities about their journey through the Delta Quadrant. I was watching the um, premiere uh, recently, Caretaker, and at the end, of course, they're fighting against the Kazon, and the Kazon are like, you've made an enemy today. And it's like, all right, well, you'll look good in our rearview mirror, I guess, because we're not sticking around. We're just going to leave. Although the Kazan uh, apparently were fairly spread out for a bunch of people who don't know how to make water. Yeah, right. I know. <laughs> because as as you know, hydrogen and oxygen are two very rare elements in the universe. Yes. Yeah, we've got warp drive figured out, but water, <sighs> that eludes us. I hated that so much. It's that whole, we have microchips, but we're sitting around campfires, uh, <laughs> science fiction, uh, sort of uh, 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 tritism that you see all the time and I cannot stand. Yeah. You don't need to have a campfire for your heat if you have warp drive. Right, exactly. Yeah, you can just phaser a rock. Yeah. That is correct. <laughs> uh, why did you choose this specific episode, Remember, to discuss today? Um, I think because, uh, well, partly because I'm Jewish um, and uh, there are still Holocaust deniers. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, even in some, uh, in some ways, neo-Nazis that are creeping out of the the woodwork. Um, I also, uh, when I was in college, I worked for a newspaper and there was a day security guard and a night security guard. And interestingly enough, the day security guard was a retired police officer who had also been in the military and in fact had been aboard the USS Enterprise um, when Pearl Harbor was attacked. Right. Um, Pearl uh, Enterprise was not destroyed at Pearl Harbor. It was supposed to be at Pearl, but there was a storm as it was coming back from wherever it was, uh, uh, wherever it was, mm-hmm. that kept it out of port, um, that delayed it coming back into Pearl, and so it was saved. So it was one of the few aircraft carriers that you know wasn't damaged in the attack. Right. The night security guard was a teacher and eventually a pilot as World War II went on in the Luftwaffe for Germany. <laughs> and I got to talk with both of these guys occasionally. And what was interesting to me is, uh, you know, here's a, a German immigrant who had not been a Nazi, um, uh, you know, probably a member of the Nazi party at some point, but he was just a military guy. Mm-hmm. He had been in the military previous to, you know, the war and all of that, and just an instructor. And eventually, as the the war dragged down, uh, like I say, a pilot. Um and he didn't deny the Holocaust per se, but he 
said not as many people died as you think. And, you know, there was more to it. And some of those things are exaggerated. Nicest guy, but totally oblivious to the reality of the situation. And whether he had talked himself into that to sort of live with himself or uh, truly just didn't want to, you know, be part of something worse than he could comprehend. And that's a theme in this show is you have these people who are uh, uh, the plot of the show is basically uh, Torres is getting um, memories from a telepath from a race of people that they visit um, of a Holocaust that occurred on the planet. And she just wants the information to get out there. Um, And all of the people on this planet, because they did actually kill out, God, what did they call them? They called them, uh, uh, they didn't call them Jews. Regressives, yes. Uh, Basically Amish people, it seemed. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) People who didn't want to use technology um, that they wanted to get rid of and, and did get rid of. And um, all of the people who were left were like, well, that would never happen here. We would never do something like that. And, and trust me, had, had the Nazis won the war and taken over the world, they would have written that out of their history and it never would have happened. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, probably every society has been guilty of that to one degree or another at some point. Yeah. Um, uh, harder now with electronic media to sort of remember things. Yeah. But um, which, by the way, I have to say, the thought occurred to me, how do you keep something secret among a race of telepaths unless people are really self-deluding? Yeah. And so it seems like those people were really big into self-delusion, which, I, yeah. you know, aren't we all to some degree? I think that's um, one of their powers as an alien race. Yeah. Along with having well could be. along with having bird nest heads. <laughs> yes, I did notice that. Or whatever's that, going on. <laughs> they saved on makeup. Yeah, and right. <laughs> uh, although they seem to have little dots sort of like uh, sort of like Dax, but Yeah. Um uh which by the way, I got to say um a lot of good world building in this episode. Yeah. Cuz you know the people had some different hand gestures and uh they had uh they they did I think good on costumes and all of that and what things look like. Yeah. Um and uh, I, although I got to say, it did remind me a lot of the inner light, mm, the okay. TNG episode yeah. where Picard has to sort of live somebody's life to tell the story of their lives. Right. Yeah. Um, and that's essentially what happened to Balana. Yeah. Um, by the way, great ending, I thought, where somebody was curious enough to share these memories that Balana had now. Yeah. And that means to me that it's going to spread. Yeah. It seems like there's hope for the future. Yes, because how are you gonna how are you gonna keep it down now? Yeah, exactly. We will get into all of that in more detail in a second. I'm sorry, um, I jumped in. I want to remind listeners we're talking about the Voyager episode. Remember the sixth episode of the third season. It debuted on October 9th, nineteen ninety six. The teleplay was by Lisa Klink. Lisa was a staff writer for Voyager and contributed 13 scripts for the show. She was also an executive story editor for the show's fourth season. And she got her start as an intern on DS9, where she wrote the episode Hippocratic Oath. And she was also a writer for the Borg Invasion 4D Star Trek Experience in Las Vegas. The story of the episode is by Brandon Braga and Joe Manoski, two names that should need no introduction beyond saying that Braga was an executive producer for Voyager, as well as a producer on TNG and DS9 and wrote for those shows. And Manoski was an executive story editor for season four of TNG and a co-executive and supervising producer for Voyager and contributed scripts to TNG, DS9, and is also a writer for Discovery. 
The episode was directed by Vienrich Colby. It's another name that should need a little introduction. He directed 48 episodes spread among all four New Trek series. And he's also um, an immigrant himself. Um, I've seen conflicting biographies. Uh, his um, biography on Wikipedia says that he's German-born, but his IMDb page says that he's from Amsterdam. But anyway, he's from that sort of lowland area. The star date for this episode is 50203.1. And your assignment, if you can, is to give us a, a 25-word synopsis of Remember. Oh, God, that's my assignment? That's right. Well, you could have told me that in advance. <laughs> um, <clears throat> 25 words. I'd have to type it out to be sure, but I'll just give the best I can. Sounds good. Um, an alien telepathic race is uh, getting a ride home with Voyager, and one of their members who... Uh, has memories of a Holocaust on their planet that is being covered up still today, transfers her memories to Torres to get it out there before she dies of what happened with her people. That's succinct and descriptive. It's perfect. Uh, well, thank you. Here are some episode, or here are some facts about this episode from the Memory Banks. Uh, you mentioned before the similarities between this and Inner Light. This episode also has a lot of similarities with the fifth season TNG episode Violations, where Picard and crew are transporting telepathic aliens whose abilities cause distress for the crew when they try to sleep. And mm. remember, was actually conceived originally as a Deanna Troy episode for Next Gen, and was later reworked by Clink for Voyager. There's a lot of guest stars in this episode that you may say, hey, that, that person looks familiar. Um, possibly the crown prince of Hey, It's That Guy, outside of maybe J.T. Walsh or Vincent, Vincent Schiavelli. This episode's special guest is Bruce Davison, who appears as Jareth. No, not that Jareth, not the Goblin King. Uh, this is a different one. Davison has appeared in just about everything over his career, from The Elephant Man on Broadway to Lost to The Legend of Korra, uh, the X-Men franchise, Seinfeld, many other credits, and he was nominated for a Best Supporting Actor Oscar in 91 for the film Longtime Companion. He also played Minos in the Enter Enterprise episode The Seventh, and he recently voiced Captain Robert April in a 2016 Captain Pike fan film. And, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, and he's still going strong. He's got over 18 upcoming credits on his IMDb page. So, oh, and you, <laughs> you have to hear this. Uh, this is the bio or the beginning of the bio on his IMDb page. Tell me if you think this was written by his agent. <clears throat> With his blonde, clean-cut, Ivy League handsomeness and ready whip smile reminiscent of Kennedy-esque times, actor Bruce Davison fits the prototype of today's more current crop of fresh-faced, likable blondes, such as Brian Kerwin and Aaron Eckhart. Is is he uh, fresh faced at this point? <laughs> yeah, I think. I mean, I'm 48. I'm not sure I'm fresh faced. Right. I think there's at least 35 years of difference between him and Aaron Heckard. But hey, swing for the fences. That's what I say. Yeah, really. Um, that yeah, that's that's that might not even be an agent. That might be just a PR person. Yeah, sure. That too. Yeah. Um, and hopefully not. Hopefully not him himself. Yeah. Um, although more often than not, I think you'll find that a lot of those <laughs> summaries are authored by the actor in question. In my opinion, nobody does nice evil like Bruce. He often plays duplicitous characters, but because of his empathic quality, or maybe it's his ready whip smile, you can kind of <laughs> see his point of view. He's almost like he's kind of relatable. And that's put perfectly insidious in this episode. Totally. It's put to great effect in this episode, especially the scene where he's giving um, Taurus uh, as Karina or, or uh, the, the, that character she's living in the dream. I think that, it's Karina Karina. Karina, yeah. Like that, that. The final pitch about getting rid of the regressives. And he's just softly talking into into her ear. It's a testament to um, Colby's directing 
and uh, also um, the, the acting by Davidson that yes, he's they could have shot that totally different. He could have been all over the place and yelling at her and berating her, but he's almost soothing and he's saying things like he's seen Dathan with other girls and and did yes. he, did he tell you not to trust your family because he's going to do that? It's the most on a, on a scale of banality of evil. It's like most banal. That that is in fact uh, one of the things that jumped out at me is like I say being insidious yeah. between that and saying how. Uh, you know, how unclean these people are and how dangerous they are. It's it's the perfect sort of, okay, it's logic isn't working with her, so I'm going to go to emotion. Yeah, yeah. Because not that it's logical that these people are like this, but it's an attempt at an internally logical argument. Yeah. Um, you know, it's sort of like all regressive steal, and he's regressive, so he must be a thief. It's that sort of right. logic where the premise is wrong, but the argument is intact. Yeah, it's a, yeah. Um, and he went right to emotions, yeah. right to, hey, he's he says this to everybody. I've seen him with other girls. And by the way, how chilling at the very end where she's, you know, pumping her fist up and saying yes. Yeah. Um, and sort of one of the re- shows one of the reasons I think why. Here it says this woman is dying. She's sort of having a deathbed confession that she was involved in this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. Um, um, really well done. Yeah. Uh, that actress, uh, Eve Brenner, uh, who appears as Jorah in this episode, has had a long career as well, spanning six decades. Her first television role was on The Adventures of Superman, believe it or not, in 1953. And in a twist that I'm sure is probably a coincidence of production, but it sure seems to underline the similarities that Remember has with Violations. She played the role of Ulian Enad in Violations on TNG, that alien oh. race that also had similar powers. I did not, I did not recognize her. And it seems like, um, that doesn't seem like a reference. That just seems like, you know, the Paramount office has actors they right. like who are reliable, just bring them on. But it's sort of funny how that worked out. I also think it's interesting, by the way, that Within the context of, and you know, what did it have to be? You can't know the lifespan of these people, but maybe 50, 60 years since this happened. Within the context of they've put this behind them, and maybe many of them don't remember it or know anything about it, especially the young people, Mm. they were ethical now. Mm-hmm. They had gotten rid of their regressives that had been swept under the rug, mm-hmm. and the leader of them really seemed sort of upset when he had accidentally sort of connected with Janeway to teach her music. Yeah. Which, by the way, I got to mention in this episode, there's a weird commercial break where Balana is, um, as Karenna is playing music, and then it's a commercial break, and then we come back and she's playing music again on her bed. It's really odd. Huh. Okay. I don't. <laughs> I was watching it. I was watching it the other day. And I'm thinking, well, that's a strange. I guess. I guess the point is, hey, look, now she's back in the, in the memories. Right. But it was a very. Str- I. It has to be where they decided to cut for time. Yeah, they couldn't find the usual excuse to like some startling revelation and then push in on the actor staring off into the distance. Right. They had to just go to playing the bop it instead. Uh, Charles Esten appears in this episode as Dathan. Esten's probably most recognizable for his many appearances on both the U.S. and U.K. versions of Whose Line Is It Anyway? He also previously appeared in the TNG episode Rightful Heir as Divok, who is the young, I think of Doug Henning-looking Klingon who has a vision of Kalish. Is that him yes. on Whose Line Is It Anywhere? Yeah. Oh, my God. You know, he you see him in the dark half the time. Yes, that's true. Yes. And, he's got <laughs> and that so I on. don't think I recognized him. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this episode's clearly meant uh, as an allegory for the Holocaust and really any program 
of forced relocation and extermination, which, let's face it, was happening in a big way in the 90s with the Rwandan genocide and ethnic cleansing happening in places like the Balkans. And Holocaust uh, themes and World War II were really prevalent in 90s cinema as well, with films like Saving Private Ryan and The Thin Red Line, Life is Beautiful, Schindler's List all came out in the 90s. In fact, Brandon Braga is on record as not really liking this episode, and I can't understand why. His justification, which I don't think is a good one, is that he thought that it was too late. He thought that, um, you know, he wished that it had come out uh, early in the 90s for TNG because he thought the episode's thunder was stolen by Schindler's List, which is like... Okay, that's a very strange thought. Misplaced priorities. I know that professionally you think like, ooh, I wanted to get that out first, but you guys did a pretty good job. Schindler's List is a very different story. Yeah, it is, it is. Um, Schindler's List is about one man sort of realizing what life is worth. Exactly, yeah. And this was really about uh, uh, how important it is to tell a story of your own people doing bad things to to keep them hopefully from happening again, which is, you know, basically what Bolana says. Yeah. Um, and I also thought it was very interesting that uh, 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 they included the scene of her as Karenna teaching children. Yes. So you, you, sh- you see that her life after this incident and before Voyager the, the the character who was the I'm blocking on the name of the alien race. Um, I am as well. The um, the aliens. We'll just call them the aliens. The the Anarans. The Anarans. Thank you. Um, that uh, she was sort of a teacher of Anaran children and wash help. She actually helped wash this away. Yeah. And 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 hide it, which is I think where her extreme guilt comes from. I do wish we would have seen a little bit more of her verbally sort of expressing her guilt um, and uh, an actual talk between her and Torres, which we never act, uh, see other than just, you know, let me give the rest to you. Yeah, right. Uh, 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 oh, by the way, I got to say the other thing that I really loved about this episode, her, uh, her, her, her crew, uh, Torres's friends and comrades, they back her. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> they believe her. Yeah. Uh, and I'll, I'll, I didn't like Janeway's tone about I'll see you in my ready room in 10 minutes, which thankfully we, or we don't or an hour, whatever it was. We don't uh, see whatever that meeting was, I don't think. Yeah. Um, but uh, um, other than that little aside, um, uh, Janeway was happy to let her talk. Yeah. Oh, no, we did see it because she said, you've got time. That's right. She said, you've got time. You can go talk to them. But by the way, Jane was right. They couldn't just beam town to the planet and do whatever they wanted to do. That wasn't what Voyager was there for. And it probably wouldn't have been accepted. Yeah. Um, Although I thought it really interesting that Janeway decided not to do any more trade with them. Yeah. um, Because it it sort of begs the question, um, should we not trade with uh, with Germany? in the year 2000 because of the Holocaust. Yeah. I I mean, there's a lot of people who have been born in the ensuing 60 years, let's say it is who had nothing to do with this and who have no knowledge of it. Yeah. So do they not deserve whatever better life they might get from this trade? Yeah. And Voyager seems to be making a comment on that. I mean, I I know people that won't buy a Volkswagen or I know people that won't take aspirin because Bayer, you know, was involved in the war effort in Germany. Oh, I didn't know that. That's interesting. Yeah. Um. I, yeah. Actually, my father, uh, uh, the son of a an Orthodox rabbi, um, would have never would never buy a Volkswagen. 
Um, so I, I do get that, and I have seen that. Uh, I would have just liked a little discussion about that. I've, I would have liked to see a point-counterpoint on that. And it's one of the things where, while I like that everybody backed Torres, um, I would have liked to have seen Tuvok maybe say what I just said, which is, are we going to punish people for something they've never done? Yeah. Uh, because some of them have never done anything. That's, Obviously, yeah. that young person that Torres talks to has no idea what's going on. Yeah. I think in that way, the lack of sort of a debate or sort of a diving into the issue, it serves as something of like a like a truth and reconciliation situation where we just want to hear the accounts. We just want to hear what's happened. We're not going to challenge anything. These stories need to get out. You know, that's clearly what the, the episode is saying. And so yes. it might have muddled it a little bit for them to sort of make it about themselves. Like, well, do we trade with them now? This is true. Also, you've only got uh, 46 minutes. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's um, always, the clock's which, always Which, running. by the way, w- one of the things that bothers me about Voyager's opening, it's way too long. It is, it's a beautiful song, but it's very long. It's, a, it's very nice music, <laughs> but they could get, if they trimmed that down to 30 seconds, they could get a minute of show in. Sure. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm one more, which by the way, a minute of storytelling is a lot. Yeah, that's um, true. Yeah. Because that's a that's a page. Yeah. You can have a page of dialogue. <laughs> um, anyway, but uh, neither here nor there. I, I just found it interesting that, uh, um, and you know, Janeway wasn't even the main character in yeah. this. And nobody dies except somebody of old age. No photon torpedoes are fired or anything like that. I, I think the uh, the other thing that struck uh, that struck me is uh, they made the Anarans back you know, 60 years ago, scary in the number of people that were just going along with it, including, by the way, a, a, is it, was his name, what was the guy's name? Dathan? No. Uh, the uh, Bruce Davidson the character? No, the boyfriend. Oh, Dathan, yes. But Dathan. Um, it seemed to me that he was just put to death without any kind of a trial. Oh, yeah, yeah. They dragged him right out of her house and put him on some sort of you know, radiation device and killed them. Yeah. And everybody there was really cool with it. Yeah. They were really, um, yeah. <laughs> and that's scary because that has happened. Yeah. I mean, that's not, I mean, people in this country were lynched. Um, yeah. And I don't, I don't want to quibble because things like that have absolutely happened in the real world far too often, but it sort of goes against this sort of, like you were saying before, like this logical um, kind of secret disappearing, which they're definitely doing. But then suddenly we have them burning them in the streets and people are cool with that. Well, like I could these see... were termed to be criminals. Oh, OK. So this is like um, like a like a kangaroo court, like public execution yes. type thing. OK. That, which, by the yeah. way, did happen. It ha- it's actually. Oh, it's sure. Yeah. Lynching in, in, sure. in this country. And it's, it happened in Nazi Germany. Yeah. Where uh, basically a trial in Nazi Germany, if you offended um, the Nazis, uh, the judge yelled at you and then you were put to death. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> there was no real evidence. Yeah. It was just the judge yelling at you. Um, yeah. So, but they skipped the judge part here. Yeah. It went straight to executioner. Uh, Voyager, you know, as a program features many episodes that deal with intense social issues. And some people have critiqued that at least, I guess in concept, like the concept of the series would seem to be that, it's perfect for a more serialized storytelling approach. And I feel like they tried that, you know, early on um, 
in the, like the first season or two, um, but then later episodes of the show would kind of comfortably settle into the kind of social allegory that we see on previous iterations of the franchise. In fact, Voyager itself returns to a similar theme in the sixth season episode, uh, Memorial, um, which is the one where the ship is being affected. Everybody on the crew is having these visions of like these like wartime atrocities, and they find out that it's part of this long dead races memorial on a planet that's beaming these um, real life events, uh, much like what happens in this episode, into their minds. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, wasn't there the the next gen episode masks? Uh yeah, yeah, right. Sort of similar to that as well, mm-hmm. in a way. Yeah, there was a lot of. Um, you know, just apart from the um, themes of like racism and fascism, there are a lot of stories in Trek about races wanting to be remembered, you know, reaching out from the past. Well, and quite frankly, I mean, there's a lot of ways to tell sort of the same story and uh, you can't you can't get away from it yeah. uh, telling the same story uh, uh, because, you know, there's only what is it, supposedly eight stories, basically. <laughs> yeah, or 37 uh, or, or yeah. <laughs> yeah, whatever the number is. But what you do creatively is you try to put a slightly different spin on it or your take or you take your particular characters through it. Yeah. So seeing, for instance, Balana go through something like this, very different than seeing uh, Picard go through Inner Light. Although I got to say, one of the things that made Inner Light just a touch better to me was that Picard learned something I felt from it. Yeah. Because you got the feeling that Picard regretted not having a family. And now all of a sudden he had a family. And he was like, you know, he, he had grandchildren in this thing. Yeah. And I think that affected him. And you didn't quite see something in Balana that sort of bounced off her own life experience. And it would have been interesting if they had been able to add that. That's true. That's a layer that was sort of missing because, you know, Taurus herself is biracial and has experienced a discrimination about that. So... But again, and in a book, it happened. Yeah. But again, they have 46 minutes. Yeah, 46 to deal minutes, with exactly. Yeah. And, and by the way, uh, <clears throat> Picard and Inner Light um, had most of the tor- story set in this time. And that allowed for more storytelling. Yeah. Because I think it, there was just a frame of the Enterprise for yeah. the most part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you got maybe a, se- a, a short scene every act right. on the Enterprise, but most of it was Picard, Picard, Picard. Yeah. And it, this was interwoven through, you know, interacting with aliens and Neelix. I think the only person who was in it was not in it a lot was Cass. Did that. Uh, she cool. had a couple of lines, but that's about it. Yeah. I think Star Trek, I mean, it, let's face it, it's based on sci-fi of the era before it. I mean, it helped usher in the rampant social commentary found in many 70s sci-fi film, films and shows, but it's still a franchise that was created by 40-something World War II veterans and future versions of the show seem reluctant to break with the original series formula of social commentary with the world of Trek as a backdrop. Do you think that Trek's method of social commentary can stay relevant in the new media environment of the 21st century? Well, I think I think we're definitely seeing uh, a, a more layered approach uh, with Discovery. Yeah. Discovery is a very modern show. Uh, not just in its look and and feel, um, but um, in that it's willing to take its time to tell a story, yeah. uh, which I think allows you to have sort of a deep, which by the way, uh, I understand that, um, that Tyler is, I don't know if I should spoil anything, <laughs> uh, is a different sort of person. But there was a very real representation of uh, the 
the mid-season finale that showed PTSD in action. Yeah. And, I mean, that's something that you just wouldn't have seen um, in a lot of Star Trek yeah. that would have definitely had, I mean, you saw it a little bit, a little bit with Picard after the Borg thing. Yeah, or but, after the um, his uh, torture by the Cardassians, there's like, I think the end of the episode before the credits, he kind of gets up and looks out the window and that's pretty much it. Yeah, and next episode, he's kind of okay again. Right. Um, and while they had, I think, the Brothers episode after The Best of Both Worlds Part 2, um, you don't see much of that afterward until uh, first contact right um when you see it's sort of still affecting him yeah and um i think i know in the in the la in the mid-season finale and in the start of chapter two we we saw it again i mean this is a troubled guy oh, yeah. who's going through and whether you want to say it's because of the procedure or because of whatever that's still ptsd yeah oh yeah he's been traumatized yeah he doesn't know who he is at this point. Exactly. Yeah. Um, which, by the way, that's what I was hoping for. <laughs> <laughs> so so I think that um, because isn't that interesting if the uh, if the 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 Klingon who was an inherent to the remain Klingon thing doesn't know who he is anymore. Yeah. I mean, that's <laughs> that, that's brilliant. That's good storytelling. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I, I think. And again, one of the pro I, I don't remember the episode that was after. Remember? But my guess is, is that this has not affected Balan long term and we probably don't ever see it again. Yeah, I wouldn't think so. I, I don't remember anything from that. In fact, I had trouble remembering this episode until I happened to cross it um, on BBC America recently. Mm. And uh, and that's why I said, boy, this is the one that that needs to be talked about, because, you know, you sometimes think of Voyager as sort of a no offense, Voyager people, <laughs> a little bit middling. Yeah, <laughs> um, just because it's such a hard sort of a, it, it's a it's a long journey home type of a thing, and I think there were some missed opportunities and missteps. Yeah. Whereas Year of Hell was excellent. Sure, Harry never mentions <laughs> that he's not the same Harry we started out with, right? And it's just dropped. Yeah, so there's missed opportunities, and I got to say, the finale of Voyager made no sense whatsoever Not really. and was disappointing in that we didn't, I would have loved it if there was one more episode to see these people maybe having trouble getting back into not being lost together. Uh, okay. You know, yeah. or, or, or see, what happens to seven? What happens to Chakotay and Torres? My God, they were basically mutineers. Yeah. Right. I mean, not mutineers, but uh, they had left Starfleet and they had, they were criminals. Yeah. Um, and Janeway <laughs> could probably, I would think, clear that, but wouldn't they wouldn't be able to just serve on a starship now, would they? I, One of the things I like about Discovery is that Burnham to this day still doesn't have a a, a Starfleet uh, badge on her uniform. Right, she's specialist. She's not in Starfleet. Yeah. Yeah, she's a contractor, independent contractor. Pretty much. Um, I think if uh, if Ronald D. Moore had been writing for uh, Voyager, the finale would have started uh, like the last you know t hour or two hours would have started. They're on Earth, and then we're like, what? What's going on? And we're seeing them integrate, and then we see in flashbacks in a parallel story, we see how they actually return home. But there's no way that he would let. Well, they sort of kind of did that, although they did it from a very future perspective. Right. Right. Um, and by the way, I thought all of that with Tuvok, and here's here's Janeway trying to. 
you know, save Tuvok's life and Seven's life, essentially. Yeah. That was all good. It's just the, the paradox part of it that <laughs> doesn't work. No sense. Yeah. <laughs> and where's the time police? Yeah, no They're kidding. They already blow up Voyager just for the heck of it because they might have a uh, 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 might have accidentally caused something um, in uh, when the doctor first gets his emitter, his mobile emitter. Right. Um, and they're nowhere to be seen here when Janeway decides to basically change the last, I don't know, 17 years of history or whatever. I know. (laughs) And where are the uh, FBI guys from the trials and tribulations episode? At least they should show up. Right. My gosh, those people are sloppy. Um, Voyager, uh, the ratings were not great in its later seasons. Um, if it, if it wasn't a venerated franchise and a flagship show on a new network, do you think that it would have been renewed to seven seasons? Uh, that's a good question. I, I don't, certainly they didn't with enterprise. Um, and, and uh, part of me really disliked parts of enterprise and part of me sort of liked parts of enterprise. Um, I, I, I actually thought that, uh, I understood the Star Trek fatigue at the time, the formula sort of fatigue. Yeah. Um, I didn't like that, uh, uh, and this happened with both Janeway and Archer sometimes, is sometimes they would take a position that was so whack, I didn't get it. And it would annoy me. The Dear Doctor episode of Enterprise, if someone wants to look that up, yeah, just pissed the hell out of me because I felt that um, Archer was basically being immoral. Which is not to say that there hadn't been times when uh, all of the shows have not done something like that. Um but yeah, it might have not lasted quite as long. Um, I don't remember what the ratings were, um, but uh, I think it also suffered from, like I say, uh, it got it got to be the same thing, sort of over and over again. They retread their steps a lot. Yeah, and um, I think they even had a couple of episodes with like holograms that were. Um, that were that that like the doctor had sort of gotten sentient and TNG had done that a couple of times. And, mm-hmm. you know, you're retreading sort of the same space over and over again. Yeah. And it got a little, you know, I, I, I don't want to say I watched it cause I had to, because nothing is making me. <laughs> um, and it's very difficult to not watch star Trek. It, yeah. you know, at least, at least one, like even into darkness, I went and saw, right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, but I can see where people were not, you could, you can't just appeal to the star Trek fans. You have to appeal to a, a casual science fiction fan these days too, Yeah. because television, not so much then, but so much now is very fragmented and there's a million choices. And also I got to say the other thing with streaming is like I, my, my my brother, a lot of people close to me have said Breaking Bad is awesome. I haven't seen Breaking Bad yet. Mm. You know why? Because I can anytime. Uh, okay, sure. <laughs> um, and that's that's actually a problem, I think, for modern TV. Yeah. Uh, I don't think Voyager would survive as it was written today, although it's a little unfair, you know, 17, 18 years out to put that on them. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> because things have just changed. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think without it being propped up, um, I think DS nine was excellent and different, although in the first couple of seasons, a little bit dry. Um, 
but certainly some of the better writing. And I think TNG really found its groove. Mm. If it's interesting, I didn't like the first couple of seasons of TNG. And now whenever it's on, uh, not the first couple of seasons, but generally, you know, seasons three, four, five, six, seven, I can just sit and watch it. Yeah. Like I can with the original series. Yeah. Because you've gotten to know these people. Yeah. Um, I never felt I knew Janeway that well. Yeah. I was um, just in watching this episode, I sort of started to realize or come up with the- with a theory that she's kind of like the female Kirk, uh, just without his, uh, you know, 60s He-Man sort of attributes. And I have a confession to make. Sure. Uh, I didn't know Janeway that well when I wrote the book. Okay. And so I basically wrote Kirk. Um, uh, uh, but with Janeway's sort of voice, sure, leaning, leaning down and whispering occasionally, yeah, right, uh, you know, putting her hands flat on the table and leaning and whispering at someone, <laughs> right. Um, and in fact, I thankfully had a uh, a female line editor, um, and I had, had there was a scene that I had written where she's almost ready to just sort of lose control, and Tuvok, um, you know, stops her from sort of losing control. And, uh, you know, puts his arm on her shoulder and sort of the, the, without saying it, is basically saying, wait a minute. Um, and she said, you can do this with Kirk and Spock, but don't do it with Tuvok and Janeway. Interesting. Because it's a man controlling a woman and saying, and, and, the, and the captain, and she's out of control and he's going to calm her. And I said, huh. I am so glad that you're the one lighting it in this book. Yeah. Because as soon as she said it, I knew, oh my God, that's right. Yeah. Um, it's interesting though. I, I understand. You don't want to play into negative stereotypes. Oh no. That, yeah. And I understand um, the avoiding negative stereotypes, but uh, Tuvok has always filled that sort of um, aide de camp sort of role for Jane away. Um, even in this episode uh, where Jane away is um, playing the, the bop it, you know, and uh, the guy's sort of touching her and Tuvok kind of figures out what's going on. And he's like, Hey, Hey, what are you, what are, we, what are you doing? What's going on there? And Jane away has to kind of tell him, Oh no, it's, it's fine. I just felt this strange, you know, I was learning all this playing music in a few uh, short moments here. Um, he's always kind of her by surprise though. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. But I think he more sensed her surprise than anything else. Yeah. But he's always kind of stood there. I mean, he is kind of a defender, and I don't think that it needs to be because you see that in like, um, you know, the um, he is the chief of security. Yeah, he's chief security. Yeah, and you see that in like the old um, commander with his um, his Batman. You know, who's um, sort of his second, who's going to look after him with male characters. Uh, Yes, and again, sometimes something works like uh, it was Carol Greenberger who. uh, um, was the line editor at that point. And, uh, and she said, uh, she said it totally works for male characters, mm. but this doesn't work. Um, at least for me. And it's not like she said, now change it, <laughs> but, <laughs> but she pointed it out to me yeah. and she said, you might want to change this. And I was like, Oh yeah, because <laughs> you really don't, it would be for instance, if, uh, uh, uh I don't want to get into any spoilers, but if if all of a sudden the uh, uh, the gay couple on Discovery um, played into some weird and incorrect gay stereotypes, yeah. it would be such a disappointment. Yeah, because really the beauty of them on Discovery is that it's it's just a couple. That's true. There's nothing odd about it. Yeah, um, and that, by the way, is what you really want to project. I mean, it's like until they had Abraham Lincoln on the original Enterprise. Nobody mentioned that Uhura was black. <laughs> yeah, and it was right. only mentioned in the context of what his era was. Right. Yes. 
Um, uh, and I, I, I don't think anybody mentioned that Cisco was black up until uh, he had sort of a, I guess you still don't know if Benny was real and, right. and Cisco was. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but until there was that sort of, uh, which, by the way, that whole contrivance is totally a writer being a writer. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Writers love to play with the idea is of, of what if my story, um, what if my story isn't real and, and I'm not real and that sort of thing. <laughs> um, and so uh, 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 but but it was the beauty of of Star Trek has always been um, we we show that this is normal by not mentioning it. Hey, it's your captain again. This is that edit point I was talking about. Nothing to see here. Keep moving it along. Just talking about Star Trek Discovery. But on the subject of Star Trek Discovery, we've got a Star Trek Discovery Season 1 recap show coming up extremely soon in the next week or two, featuring some former guests of the show talking about the first season of Star Trek Discovery, the highs, the lows, and where we think it's going from here. So if you love Discovery, tune in for that. Stay subscribed to our show feed in iTunes or wherever you get our show. And that'll be out extremely soon. And now back to the episode. It's nice to look back and find some Voyager episodes that still resonate, that were really good. Which, by the way, excellent performance by Roxanne Dawson. Yeah. Um, she was awesome in this. Oh, yeah. Um, and uh, and um, just just as just as awesome as 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 uh, I don't want to say modern actors because she's. I don't know if she still acts, but she's certainly still modern. Um, I think she's pretty much exclusively a director and producer now. Is that right? Yeah. You know, that's the way to go. <laughs> well, sure. Uh, especially if you're an actor and you can is. do it. Yeah. Because you know, you also know what, uh, you know, sort of what actors needs. In fact, I think that's something that Wilson Cruz had said of uh, Jonathan Frakes. Or maybe Jonathan Frakes said it in this article where he said he's a recovering actor, so he knows what to give actors okay, sure. to make their job easier. Yeah. <laughs> I like to call himself a recovering actor. Yeah. Um, and Wilson uh, is fantastic in this. Yeah. Um, and I really, I mean, I, I got, I don't want to say I got choked up because you never know what's going. Um, I, uh, I think my wife got choked up when she saw it. And she's nodding at me. She's over there quietly playing some game on her phone. Um <laughs> But uh, uh, these people emote so well. They're, they got such a good cast on this show. Discovery seems like it's focused mainly on personal themes like PTSD. Do you see Discovery and Trek returning to its allegorical roots in the future? Um, I think there is something allegorical going on, uh, to be honest with you, um, sort of about our current... Uh, political and philosophical struggles, but I think it is more, uh, more layered, a little more esoteric, and it's going to complete itself. Um, like I say, over over a season as opposed to through an episode. Okay. Um, and uh, uh, I'm waiting to see exactly where they go with that. But they said from the beginning, you know, these are chapters in a book. Yeah. These are not. This yeah. is not episodic television. And I'm going. I'm. 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 I'm going with what they're saying, um, and like I say, that's something that uh, shows are written, quite frankly, for binge watching now, mm-hmm. and sometimes they don't stand up as well episodically. Although I got to say, I'm on the edge of my seat. Literally, I will actually uh, move to the edge of my seat and <laughs> sit there watching, sort of intensely. Sure. Um, 
but uh, but I think when we put, if you, I've told some friends who weren't into it. I said, look, wait, stream it all at the end, and then make your decision because this is how television is written now. Yeah. Uh, I see this episode, even though we've covered these sorts of themes in earlier episodes of Trek, it's it's sort of like the Ur episode for social commentary. Like you could use this one to sort of test the scales of allegorical storytelling on Trek because it uses that backdrop of Trek. But like we said before, it pushes the elements to, to the side, the science, the sci-fi, the future doesn't really matter. And we're just kind of diving into this. Like any good allegory, there's oh boy, it's you talked a little bit about it before, but there's this this disgusting um, tendency by the Anarans to to dehumanize and label um, the regressives, even the name regressive, and saying that they're dirty and it's dangerous, you know, to have them around. And it's very similar to the way that you know fascists and perpetrators of ethnic cleansing in our own world have dehumanized populations. And and how uh, I don't want to say we because I was not alive yeah. um, and had nothing to do with it, but how the United States um, and Europeans did this to um, uh, Aboriginal Americans, mm-hmm. whether from the north or the south, mm-hmm. they just treated them like crap. They enslaved them. They pushed them off their land, wounded knee, things like that, yeah. uh, uh, the Trail of Tears, and all of that. And basically, they said they're savages. They don't believe as you do. They're dirty, et cetera. Yeah, it's in, in the name uh, of progress. In the name of progress, in the name of our culture. Um, and I think that's why they gave us the extra scene of uh, Karenna teaching the children. Yes. And they killed themselves, by the way. Yeah, here's our, here, this is a door. It's our memorial to ethnic cleansing. Yes. Oh, wasn't that creepy? Yeah, it's chilling. Um, although, again, tell me, you know, I watch uh, uh, also Man in the High Castle. Oh, yeah. Um, and uh, um, there's nothing creepier <laughs> than than for me, especially of 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 Jewish descent to realize, wow, the Jews are pretty much gone. Mm-hmm. I mean, and in fact, the Holocaust wiped off half the Jewish population, at least. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, I don't think it got back up to um, the population that it was in the 30s until I think the 1990s. Wow. Um, and, uh, um, it's, it's sort of this chilling reminder, uh, that this man's inhumanity to man. I mean, it's, it's out there. And by the way, as a, a person who, uh, I I don't want to say I enjoy world war two stuff, (laughs) but I do. My father, um, grew up in that time. He wasn't old enough to have been in the service, but he followed World War II sort of religiously. And so with him, I've watched all the documentaries and all of that. And there's nothing more chilling to someone who's a student of that history to see modern today uh, people in English saying, hail victory, Mm -hmm. um, and watching videos of that, raising their people in suits and ties, raising their arms and saying hail victory, which is what Sieg Heil means. Um, uh, 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 don't, don't tell me it can't happen again. Yeah. <laughs> I just don't buy it. Yeah. Another, and it's not going to be the Jews they come from, come from. It'll be someone else, yeah. but that doesn't matter. Yeah. And I think a really important element in the story is that, you know, Jorah dies before the end of it. And in our world, most of the people who have experienced the Holocaust firsthand are dead. So it's, it's more important than ever that we remember what really happened. There are fewer and fewer people around. Thankfully, like I say, we do have electric media and we do have, uh, uh, you know, records of these people, not to say that others can't deny it. But this, by the way, was the important thing of the episode. This is why she was 
working so hard to give these memories to Torres so that maybe Torres could pass this on. Yeah. And it did. I'd love to revisit um, this planet um, in the future at some point, although I'm not sure how you link it in with a Star Trek story. Yeah. But it would be fascinating to see what happens to their culture when they realize that they were monsters once. Yeah. I have a few um, sort of quibbles about the episode. I, I think the suggestion that the Anarans, uh, or at least the majority of the Anarans, are germaphobes feels a little wedged in to me. Like, I think it's enough to claim that the undesirables are, are dirty, you know, or that they're going to get sick. Um, and there's, there is no justification for ethnic cleansing, but it seems like the writers wanted to fill it out just a little bit. So they made the uh, regular or the mainstream Anarans uh, very conscious about germs and they've got the little sanitizing balls or whatever. Like, like, they, like they had some stronger argument, at least from their point of view. I didn't think that was really necessary. Well, I, perhaps it plays into how something that's um, innocuous can be used in an argument. Um, uh, you know, you see... You see people today saying, well, you want to be safe in your homes, don't you? Oh, yeah. Or, or foreigners people, are taking our jobs. Right, or, right, exactly. Yeah. Uh, which just so isn't the truth. <laughs> um, but uh, I, think it, I think it was sort of trying to give a nod to that. Perhaps uh, they could have done better there. Yeah. yeah. I, see, I totally see what you mean. But I think they were trying to go for something. Um, I, it probably just didn't all work out yeah and it, it, um, <laughs> certainly spreading disease you know they'll start a plague blah 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 that's a lot different than washing your hands yeah nobody starts a plague by not washing their hands right yeah and as far as the sanitizing balls go it's a little weird a uh, neelix may have had it backwards if those balls are on a string the cleaning and sanitizing should come after you touch them for sure <laughs> that's a good point neelix by the way he's so crazy <laughs> i mean he's he's really going all out to make these people feel comfortable yeah he sets up a whole party um and removes the tables and chairs so that no i mean there's a crew on this ship yeah, they he, need to eat somewhere yeah, he makes it into the enchantment under the sea dance yes it was very strange or, but i guess <laughs> i guess that's neelix <laughs> Yeah, and I like that the crew is wearing uh, civilian or, or kind of dressy clothes. I like it when we see them out of uniform. And Janeway's, like Janeway's got her Hillary Clinton uh, debate suit on, which looks really good. Actually, I thought it looked like um, uh, what you wear to a uh, uh, to like a dojo. <laughs> it oh. looked like a <laughs> Like she was in the Matrix or something, yeah. yeah. But she put her hair down. I thought that was nice. Yeah, it looked nice. I, I so didn't like uh, Bun Janeway. I much preferred... Uh, uh, I don't know, better haircut Janeway, I guess is what I can call it. Sure. I, don't know what that I didn't really like uh, ponytail Janeway, though. That was OK. Transitional. That's but right. I, 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 I appreciated when she <clears throat> literally and figuratively let her hair down. Yeah, I um, I like the fact that uh, you mentioned before that the crew picks up on this really fast. And I think that that's a great um, story element. Uh, and it's also a great um thing for the audience because you know we've seen this a bunch of times so we don't want to watch our characters stumble around for two acts trying to figure it out uh if you're having strange dreams on voyager you go to the doctor and then we figure out yeah it's telepathy that's what it is and then it becomes not how do we cure it but like what are you going to do because of it also even that even though janeway didn't like the way torres did it she appreciated 
what Torres believed, and she believed it too. Yeah. She believed her. She had things, you know, she had stuff in motion to make sure stuff was okay. Yeah. She actually said, you get two days of rest. We're looking into this. We got it now. Yeah. She supported her, and Harry supported her by saying, hey, you could at least listen. Let's hear her out. Yeah. Um, that was all excellent stuff. So often shows, every show, makes the mistake of, what's wrong with Joe? He should not be uh, uh, like this, even though it's your best friend. Trust me. If my best friend came to me and said, this stuff is happening, even if it's sound outlandish, I would say, okay, you're not given to this sort of thing. Right. Let's find out what's going on. Yeah. You wouldn't say Joe's nuts and he's lost his mind. <laughs> right. Yeah. Lock him up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I quite appreciated that they were smart about it. Yeah. That was a, it was, it actually was for the most part, a smartly written script. I also like the way that Taurus is like, D don't cure my brain problem. I'm not finished with my stories yet. Yes, that was actually interesting. But I think that said something, a lot of how this wasn't just a dream. Yeah, she was right. experiencing something for, really for real. Yeah. I mean, I don't treat my, I have memories. I don't treat them like a dream. They totally feel different than a dream. Sure. And these didn't feel like a dream to her. And she, she wanted to find out what was going on. She also sensed something was going on. Yeah. Something was seriously wrong here. Because I think it's the first scene or the second scene, uh, the you know, back when she's, Karenna, that's the name. Mm. I can't remember the pronunciation. Um, where all of a sudden she's hugging the dude and then he's got the radiation burns right. on him. So that was a very, by the way, a very smart little, here, get get intrigued about this story. What's going on? Yeah. Um, which plays to, you know, uh, sort of Taurus's personality. I have to, I have to uh, wonder if um, the telepath, was it Jorah? Yes. Um if Jorah didn't sense, this is how Torres can accept the story and this is how I'll give it. I see. I see. So she's sort of uh, tailoring it to her, her reader or her uh, consumer. I, I, I would think so. Because if not, why not just give it all at one time? That's true. I'd love, um, I'd love to. I guess she had to give it in a certain way that would make it meaningful for Torres. Yeah. I'd love to experience a hollow novel in the holodeck. They keep talking about them. I think we see it a little when um, Janeway's got her little like hunky romance novel she's going through, but it'd be like a play that you could walk through and there'd be, you'd never run out of stories because now you have all these other cultures. There's so many alien stories that in the future that you could experience um, in this way. My, my fear of the holodeck uh, as it has been for, since it was mentioned was that uh, people are pervy and they're going to use it for sex and I uh, am I just I wouldn't want to be the crewman who has to clean it afterward. Yeah. Where's the sanitizing balls? Get them in here. I, I do, yeah, really? <laughs> no, don't, don't say balls. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I've always thought it would be way more used like Quark uses them. Yeah. Than like, than like Picard uses it to ride a horse. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but still, um, you have to clean up or, after the horse. <laughs> or 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 actually, quite frankly, they were very smart about how. Uh, uh, Riker, I think, used it at one point, or the the binars wanted him to use it, um, like that. They say to distract him, but we all know what it was about. Right. Um, uh, what was interesting in that is they had done something that made her actually real, which suggested to me there would be people who wouldn't want to use the holodeck for sexual activities because it wasn't real. Right. And of course, Barkley took it to a whole new creepy level. Yeah. So um, you're saying that episode, we, we see the beginnings of uh, Riker's maybe holodeck addiction. <laughs> That's his, I it's his dating service. I think, I think I, uh, Riker's character in the beginning was a little, uh, 
not there yeah. that much. Right. But he definitely got a character as time went on, like all of them, because, you know, the actor puts in and and uh, writers sort of get a feel for what the actor is doing. Yeah, I read that. Um, Rod- I think Riker would do that. I think Riker wants real life. Yeah, well, I, I, I agree. He's that interested in the holodeck. Yeah. I read that Roddenberry didn't want uh, Jonathan Frakes to smile. He thought that Riker would be very straight-laced and very much a, um, a military Starfleet man, which just goes to show Gene has a lot of great ideas and some not-so-great ideas. You know what? Uh, Gene Roddenberry, George Lucas, uh, people like that are very creative, and they can. we all can do wonderful things. Yeah. But I will tell you, if you get to the point, and I'm not saying that Gene would not listen to people, but I think you get to the point where you've become such a legend that people might not want to say, hey, but what about this or no to you? <laughs> sure. If I didn't have editors that said, hey, Dave, what about this? <laughs> um, I, I, my books wouldn't be good. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they certainly wouldn't be as good. Um, and so I think sometimes I think sometimes uh, that the uh, prequels to Star Wars weren't as good because nobody wanted to say, hey, George, uh, this dialogue doesn't work. Sure. Um, which, by the way, it doesn't. I no. don't like George Lucas as a, a director, but I don't feel his dialogue is good. Yeah, I agree. Uh, that's the wrong show, though. Uh, here is that's- here's to you getting big enough that your books are bad because nobody will tell you. No. Oh, God. I You know, I, <laughs> I dread the day. And thankfully, that's why I have uh, and they can't do this probably in television because of the the how long it takes to churn out a script and how quick you have to have it. Um, I have beta readers who I know are willing to not just be yes men and who will tell me if something doesn't work. Huh. Uh, That's great. My brother's actually very good at that. Oh, that's great. Uh, Sex and Star Trek always seem to be um, sort of at arm's length, in my opinion. Um, The 21st century is supposed to be a very sex-positive place, which is great, but is it really a good idea to talk to your exo about your sexy dreams? Uh, well, you know what? <laughs> I noticed that. I did notice that. And I got to say, I kind of liked it yeah. because here are two people who were not in Starfleet together. They were in the Maquis oh, yeah. together. Right, right. And they're friends. Yeah. And you know what? Um, you know, it's, uh, uh, hopefully by the 24th century, we are mature enough to be able to talk about these things Sometimes with a little wink and a nod. Right. <laughs> um, but but it's not going to go anywhere to sort of an unsafe place. Yeah. Um, I, I know that uh, um, if I had, well, would I talk about it with, no, I get, you know what? I, there aren't many friends that I would, well, she didn't go into that great detail, actually. So, <laughs> I, so I, suppose. <laughs> I mean, something I would have told my wife probably, but I don't know, my my. Probably not a close friend or coworker, but I live in the 21st century where, you know, perhaps I'm still a little uh, bit of a, a, a prude. Right. <laughs> but but I, but I think, you know, she uh, I don't know. It seemed good characterization to me. And I like actually how Chakotay handled it. Yeah, he does. Which is, he sort of smirked and he said, all right, you go, girl, basically. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, this episode also continues the legend of uh, Harry having some pretty good game. Yes, uh, that's that's true. And you know what? Um, Harry came off uh, pretty well. Although I got to tell you, if I had directed this episode in the very beginning, when Torres sort of excuses herself out of dinner so that Harry and the young and Aaron can can be alone. um, uh, uh, Torres said something. Her line was something like, you know, no, no, really, I can't go. 
you know, because they didn't <laughs> they didn't give her any pushback. Yeah. Um, I, I, I she sounded almost bitter about it. I would have said, no, no, be more amused. Right. Because <laughs> I think she was probably more amused at it. I mean, it was her suggestion not to go. Yeah. Um, uh, but uh, but yeah, I, Harry was Harry's one of my disappointments of Voyager Interesting. because I don't, I don't think that they necessarily explored him as much as they should. Yeah. Um, he came off, honestly, not even interesting in the future with future Harry. Yeah. In the last two episodes, he was still kind of boring. Yeah. The doctor had more characterization. Yeah. This is our chance to kind of fix Wesley Crusher and we just kind of put on the back burner. We never really got around to it. Wesley was more interesting. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I, You know what? Looking back, although I was just a couple of years older than Wesley when the show first started. I think I was 18 and not 15. Um but, uh, uh, or 17, I think, when did it start? 87? 87. All right. So I was 17. Um, I think that looking back, not the first season, Wesley, but what they started to do with him toward the end. I just recently saw the, uh, the one where I think he's about to go off to Starfleet Academy. It was a very good episode, uh, with trying to get through the water and everything. Yeah. He sort of grew. I mean, he became he became a better character. They just didn't utilize him enough after that first couple. And by the way, Will Wheaton's a good actor. They had one of the best actors, you know, stand by me in all of these movies. Sure. And they just didn't put him to use. Sad. It's unfortunate. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think. Th- He's the emperor in discovery. Oh, boy. Oh, no. <laughs> I can't even contemplate <laughs> Fans would lose their mind. <laughs> As we wrap up here, did you have any parting shots, any last things you wanted to say about the episode? This is sounds horrible. I was surprised I enjoyed it so much. Again, it's one that I first saw <laughs> on BBC America. And I will just have it's it's I don't care what Star Trek series it is, it's kind of nice just to have it on while you're doing other things. Yeah. And I actually sat and watched this, and I hadn't seen it probably since it was originally out. Um, cause, uh, if I'm writing, I've been watching, I've been writing a lot of, uh, last couple of books for original series. So that's what I was watching. Right. Um, and I haven't written a Voyager book in 17, 18 years, whatever it was. Yeah. Um, and I found myself, wow, this is really good. I'm engaged. I'm enjoying this, which doesn't mean to me that it was perfect, but it really caught my attention. And, uh, I feel s- sort of bad that I was, I think sometimes we overlook that there were, there would, there were good Voyager episodes. Yeah. Uh, last time you were on the show, you told us that your favorite captain was James T. Kirk, and you said it was because he was flawed. He was the most f- uh, screwed up, I think you put it. Um, what do you think he would do in this situation? What would Kirk do? What would Kirk do in this particular episode? Yes. Uh, he would have gone down to the planet and forced the leaders to face their uh, <laughs> uh, to, to, to face their um, uh, uh, their demons. However, I got to say... Um, it would be. It would have been written different. It would have. Wouldn't have been the same story. Oh yeah. He would have lived it. <laughs> Spock would have pulled him out of it. Yeah. And uh, and then he would have gone and found a way to make everybody on the planet live it. Oh boy. Because um, that's what he did with the apple. Yeah. He destroyed their civilization. Yep. <laughs> with Landru, he destroyed their civilization. He was big into destroying civilizations, um, <laughs> from their status quo to get. I mean, a Miniar 7 could have been in ruins if it were James T. Kirk. <laughs> <laughs> so so he would have gambled that he could have saved them by uh, tearing them down and have, making themselves uh, rebuild their 
their whole world. Yeah, that would have been and a, their world view. <laughs> that would have been a totally different episode. And by the way, it might have been a really good episode. <laughs> it would have been a great Kirk speech in it. Oh yeah. Uh, I mean, I can you know. Hey, write it up. <laughs> um, uh, you know what? It's that's not a bad idea necessarily. <laughs> <laughs> I should be getting a commission here. I feel like I'm always pushing you towards a new thing. I'll give you a sign. <laughs> uh, you were assigned to food services when you came aboard. How are things in food services? You have to get a ton of calls for those algae puffs for parties. Oh my God, algae puffs! <laughs> <laughs> I gotta say that Neelix. If we're gonna point to a Wesley Crusher, if Wesley Crusher in the first season was annoying, <laughs> Neelix was annoying. Yeah, I could see that. <laughs> um, which is not to say he's a bad character. I have annoying people that I deal with all the time. Yeah, yeah. I might be one of them for someone else. <laughs> um, so there are annoying people in our lives. Um, he's just a little too cheerful for me. I think I would treat him like Tuvok generally treated him. Yeah, and again, it, I just watched the premiere recently. He does have an edge because he's all cheerful and stuff, and then as soon as they get to the planet, uh, he's trying to save Kess, and he's pulling all these tricks, and he's pulling guns on people, and you see that he's got a more sort of passionate uh, side. But they dropped that soon after. Oh, yeah. It's like a TNG opener. Um, Riker was supposed to have a problem with Data. Yeah. And they dropped it after 3.7 seconds. Yeah. Um, and, you know, part of that just might be the actor saying, wait a minute. Why am I having a problem with this guy? Right. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. And, and, and so and they might have just decided to take uh, Neelix in a, a total. Look, I know that in Discovery, there are people who don't like um, <laughs> Captain Killy. Um, <laughs> oh, no. But but uh, uh, Tilly. Uh, uh, Sylvia Tilly, right. um, Cadet Tilly, but I adore her. I love her. So it really is sort of subjective on who's going to rub you the wrong way. Yeah. Um, Neelix never rubbed me quite the right way. And honestly, again, that Voyager book I wrote was many, many years ago, but I don't remember what I did with him. I don't think it was much. I think he just, uh, and I actually didn't have seven in my book because Kess was originally in my book mm. and then she left the series and they said, you have to use seven of nine. And I knew almost nothing about her. Yeah. And had to change it. <laughs> so she wasn't in my book much either. Mm. Uh, Neelix is the emperor in the mirror universe. Oh, God, I will kill you. For <laughs> that is horrible. You never know. <laughs> I'm putting you in a cell with Ripper. <laughs> well, uh, for being on the show for a second time, you'll be promoted to lieutenant junior grade. So congratulations. Uh, oh, nice. Thanks for joining me again to talk about Star Trek and the Star Trek universe. If people want to continue the conversation and they can at at EIST pod on Twitter and the Enterprising Individuals Facebook page. Where can people find you online? Um, I am uh, at uh might be Dave.Gallanter or just Dave, at Dave Gallanter on Twitter. Um, you can find me on Facebook. Uh, you just have to friend me. I friend everybody. It's my personal page. I don't have a fan page. Oh. Um, and I'm out there. Just Google me. I have a, a huge internet footprint. Sure. Anything you're working on right now you can talk about? Uh, nothing I can talk about right now. Okay. Um, but uh, I, 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 uh, I keep feelers out there whenever I can. Yeah, sure. So we'll see what happens. Okay. Well, thanks again for joining me. It was fun. Thanks for having me. We are signing off until the next mission. Hailing frequencies closed. Sonia.